You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch. Straight to business, late March and Laura Barry has flu-like symptoms. They're mild enough, but in the circumstances, she sees her GP. A sudden temperature spike sends her to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda on April the 1st. Listen to this. She only came out on Tuesday, gone by nine weeks later, having come through the mother of all battles with COVID-19. We're going to have a chat with Emma Barry, uh, Laura's daughter, but I believe Laura herself is on the line. Hello, Laura. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. Lovely to talk to you today. Well, 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 you're some woman for one woman. Can I go back to uh, around the 1st of April w- when you went to hospital? Um, did you realise that you had the COVID or how ill you were? No, not really. I just, I my temperature was spiking a bit and I was vomiting a lot. I couldn't keep anything down. Um, I had no problem with my breathing. But then I kind of got worse over 24 hours. And when I rang the GP, he told me to go up that I had a few symptoms of the COVID. So I went up to the Lords and they put me into an isolation unit and they tested me for COVID and it was positive. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember much after that until I came to in the ICU about five weeks later. Really? So it was as quick as that, that they had to get you into intensive care and they put you into this induced coma. Was that almost immediately? What have you found out since? Yeah, well, what happened was um, I was in the Newgrange ward for a week. And at the end of that week, the my uh, oxygen level started to drop dramatically. So I was sent up to recovery and then straight into ICU. And while I was there for four weeks, they put me in an induced coma. And then they did a process called proning, which they lie me on my tummy for 16 hours a day to actually help the air in the lungs go from the back of the lung to the front of the lung to actually help me breathe. So that was for four weeks. And then they brought me out of sedation and I was a bit delirious for a while. And then I was there for a further two weeks and then back down to the Newgrange ward for two weeks. And as you say, I only came home on Tuesday. So a long, long, long road and a tough battle. But I said, I'm blessed to have come through it. You are. And it's great to be talking to you today. I want to say again, when, when you go in and you're on the ward and then into the ICU, Obviously, then you're becoming more ill all the time. So you have no recollection. You don't remember. Did you get a chance to say anything to your family, your children? I did, but only after. See, the nurses in the ICU, they have a tablet. So they used to ring home 
And even though I couldn't talk, I was able to wave at them. They could see me. I could see them. But after seven weeks, some of the nurses brought me down to the main door of the hospital. And my husband and two daughters were able to come in. And obviously, with the social distance, we were two metres apart. But it was a very, very emotional day because it was the first time I'd seen them in seven weeks. And it really gave me a boost to just be determined to actually get better and walk out those doors again. So the tablet came to great use and fair use to the staff there that were able to, you know, connect you with your family from a distance as it was. And you had no strength. You weren't able to talk to them, just wave at them. I couldn't, know because they had tracheostomy in. Yeah. So with the tube in and they had to yes. put the balloon in and they had to inflate that. So with that inflated, I couldn't talk. So, okay. But I was able to see them and it was just the best medicine ever because it <laughs> just gave me the boost to get better. So that was after you came out from the induced coma. But before yeah. that, it was really whirlwind. You were in and they didn't see much of you from you no. really hit the hospital. Not at all. No, they didn't. Now, the day I went up to ICU on the 8th of April, John and my, one of my daughters, Emma, had come in to see me. But I have no recollection of them being there. So I was obviously that sick. And then I have no recollection of being in the ICU or anything that happened to me before I came to. But there is details of your time when, if I could say it, that you were in this deep sleep. Tell me about that, because I never knew about this before. It's something that's kept in the ICU by the staff there. Yeah, it's a journal, a diary that they keep, and it's called The Missing Days. And it's to fill in the gaps, say, to anybody like me who was in a coma, to fill in the details of what happened and how the nurses cared for me. Um, each nurse on day duty and night duty writes a little paragraph in the journal. So it kind of fills in the missing days for me. Now, I started to read it in the hospital, but I found it very emotional. So I said I'd leave it until I was feeling a little bit stronger at home. But uh, it's a, an idea that they had and they have it in, in place now for about a year. So it's an absolutely fantastic idea. It's a great incentive and it actually... It's brilliant for someone like me to fill in what happened to me because I have no recollection of anything. You do know at this stage that when you're in induced coma and they immobilise you and you're on the critical list, it's touch and go. You've, nothing nothing is there. I'm just trying to think about that. You know nothing, you feel nothing, there's nothing in your mind all across that period at all. Nothing comes back to you. Nothing at all. Not yet. Now, they did advise me that I could have hallucinations when I go home. But so far, so good, nothing has happened. Mm. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, they put me into an induced coma and they paralysed me because mm. on the off chance that I would have woken up from the sedation, I wasn't allowed to move because I had tubes and ventilators and everything stuck in me and coming out of me and everything, so I wasn't able to. So, um, yeah, I don't remember a thing. There's absolutely no recollection at all from the day I left uh, the ward to go to ICU, so I actually woke up in ICU because I didn't know where I was. Yeah, yeah, but it must have been something else that first time using the tablet that you saw them, as you said, and then, of course, a few weeks later to come out and meet them from a distance. Oh, it was brilliant, Terry, it really was. Unbelievable. I I want to mention uh, one of your daughters, Uh, what a lovely young woman she was, Nicola, who I interviewed on this show in the past, and sadly, she herself passed away all too young on the 1st of August 2014. 
Was she in your thoughts or around you at all? Have you anything to say about that? Well, I do. I do remember feeling a presence when I was, I have to say when I was unconscious, but I do remember, I knew she was there. I knew she was with me. And I keep thinking that she was pushing me back and saying, no, ma'am, don't want to see you just yet. Because definitely, I said, she had a great part to play in my recovery and my survival. Mm. Isn't that interesting that you you yeah. felt that you know Laura that 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 she you felt she she was there with you. Now you you came home on Tuesday uh, to wonderful joy at the hospital, wonderful joy of course for your family. It must be just something else to be in your own home again. Oh well, to be honest with you, Jerry, there were times I didn't think I'd ever leave the hospital uh, because I was that sick. But I. I just the nursing staff up there, the doctors, the consultants, like they're, they're, particularly the nurses, they're absolutely second to none up there. And I owe them my life. Sounds very dramatic, but I do, because they nurse me back to life. They nurse me back to health. And uh, their care and devotion to their patients is just unreal. They are wonderful, wonderful people. And it's only now that I think that some of us begin to realise how great they actually are, like you are uh, saying now to me. Um, you have a road to go still because, you know, you're on medication. You've had muscle wastage, I believe, quite a bit. Yeah, a lot of muscle wastage because it was the four weeks and then the further two weeks in the ICU, I wasn't moving. I wasn't mobile at all. I was kind of bed bound until maybe for the last week. The physios come in, the speech and language therapists come in to help me to literally train me how to eat again because the muscles were wasted completely all over the body. And then the physios then were helping me to walk again. So thankfully, I'm on a walking stick now. I've gone from a frame to a crutch to a walking stick. So I'm actually getting around now and it's all thanks to the physios and their hard work. And then the uh, I'm eating again. No problem. I love my food. Mm. <laughs> Good yeah. woman. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, it is. It's, it's a miracle. They call me their medical miracle up in the ITU because I was at that store and one of the consultants had actually rang my husband, John, on Good Friday. It was two days after I went into ICU to say that I was very critical and there was nothing more they could do for me. So uh, one of the doctors up there, he's a Christian doctor, Dr. Jubal Thomas, he prayed all night for me and the next day he came in and he could see a slight improvement. So as I said, from then to today, it was just onwards and upwards. Marvellous. It is just such a, an inspiring and uplifting story because you know yourself, uh, each day we get uh, news of those who've passed on with COVID and the new cases uh, that uh, come up as well. And that's been relentless uh, for weeks and months now. But to hear your story of recovery and to be talking to you today when you went to the to the edge, so to speak, and, and here yeah. you are on the way back. It's just yeah. great. I'm delighted. I'm delighted you're, you're chatting to me on the show today. You don't know how happy I am. Thank you very much, Terry. No, thank you for taking the call. And I know it's it's an effort as well to talk for the length we've been talking here. Would you put me on to Emma, your lovely daughter there, please? Laura, thank you. Thank you very much, Terry. Good talking to you. Great talking to you too. Hi, Terry. How are things? Emma, you've some mammy. I know. Some woman for one woman, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she just? So let's talk about it from 
your perspective, your, your dad and, and, and the children in the family. Your mum goes, goes down and I think it's fair to say you thought she'd be just down and back home. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I suppose it's like when anyone kind of goes down to hospital, like you expect them there for a few hours, you know, maybe a day or two, but they're kind of home again pretty quickly. Um, but I suppose kind of like with COVID, what was extremely kind of like distressing with like the whole experience that it hadn't, like it hasn't been around before, it's completely unprecedented. So we really, you know, had no idea what to expect. But I think, you know, it kind of was that kind of story that we kind of thought like, yeah, she'd be back home. Because yeah, she was like, sick but it was just what seemed like kind of you know normal flu symptoms and whilst we were aware that like you know COVID was like you know rampaging the country like it hadn't touched anyone else that we knew of thank god so we kind of thought that it would be you know a mild enough case like others we had heard of. Mm. One thing I didn't ask or just while you're on there maybe you can answer it does she know where she picked it up or how she got it? That's the thing like not at all because um like yeah. Doctors are trying to do like the tracing with her and um like whilst like in the family like none of the rest of us had, had any symptoms, whether it was the case that we had contracted it and just been a carrier, not been sick ourselves, or whether she'd picked it up like, you know, community transmission. Um mm. like the doctors really weren't sure and I suppose that kind of made us that little bit scarier because, you know, you don't almost don't know where you could pick it up or could get it. And I suppose like it is that fear in people and why it's so important, you know, to kind of maintain like the social distancing and stick to the government's guidelines like at the moment. For sure. That really is a point, folks, if you're listening to us today to bear in mind. Think about this. This ain't over. This goes on and we must not drop our guard. Now, when she went in the initial few days when she was on New Grange, you still you couldn't see her at all. You didn't see her from the time she went in. She just whisked away from you onto the ward, into ICU. It must have been horrendous. Each day and the hours ticking by, thinking, how is she? Yeah, no, it, it was um, when she went into Newgrange originally, and uh, when she was first admitted to hospital in the beginning of April, like it was, it was still very difficult because we couldn't go and see her, and even just like the comfort of holding someone's hand, it does a lot for like you know the patient and their visitor, I think. But um, like we were able to still talk to her like on the phone, but as she kind of gradually grew thicker the contact kind of lessened because she just wasn't strong enough and it was too weak to be like texting or ringing or um, especially when she started developing like issues with her breathing. It was like pretty much non-existent contact like directly with her. Like the staff were fantastic that we were able to contact them like, you know, several times a day. My dad was on the phone, like, you know, getting updates. And um, so that was comforting, but it's not quite the same as actually being able to see someone. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the toughest part of, um, you know, being a family member of a patient with COVID is that it is like completely, you know, isolating almost that you can't visit. And I, I understand it's in like, you know, everyone's best interest for um, like infection control, but it is, you know, it's very tough kind of the reality of not being able to see a loved one. Mm. Did you think you were going to lose her? Yeah, like definitely. Like there was a point where like when dad and I got in to see her um, before she went, <laughs> before she went up to ICU, she um like she was like we really saw then like how sick she was, but still didn't register with us that it was like, you know, completely critical because like to us she was still alert, she was still talking, she was well able to like, you know, converse with us. So then that was the eighth of April, but going from that to like seeing her alert and awake 
And even though very sick, we still, you know, thought, oh, you know, she's still doing really well to get him that call on Good Friday to say that, um, like, you know, there wasn't anything more they could do for her. And especially because COVID was like, you know, completely unknown to the doctors as well as the general public. It really kind of, you know, was a, a day-to-day thing. But definitely I think that call kind of, like, you know, shocked us all to our core and really brought, brought the gravity of the situation like to light mm. almost. Mm. And then as the days pass and the old mum is hanging in there, she's built a stair and stuff. And that time, the first time they take the tablet out, the wonderful staff there and you yeah. see her, you see her. That must have been unbelievable. I don't know, it was just like, I can't, I definitely can't put into words like the like sense of relief because I think when we first saw her awake, it was like, oh God, she's like, you know, thank God she's really pulling through this. And um, like it, de- like it definitely was. I think like we owe so much to like the nurses and doctors in particularly the ICU and the Lords, but like all over the hospital, and even like all over the the country and all the work that they're doing. But also like I have to say that her like family, neighbours, and friends were fantastic in their support, albeit from a distance. Like mm. the outpouring of like you know love and prayers that we got from not like only all over Ireland but all over the world was phenomenal. We like you know. The power of prayer, I think, you know, really was paramount in Mam's recovery. But I just, I know myself, like the first time I saw her, it's just that like sense of relief. And even though she was just coming out of like sedation herself, so she wasn't fully alert, like she was still responding. And like the really little um, steps that she was taking, like being able to, you know, squeeze a doctor's hand or stick out a tongue when she was asked to like by the doctors and nurses just to show that she was responding and like you know she was coming back to us I think it's definitely a feeling I'll never forget Mm. and then of course you get to see her two weeks ago and of course the rest is history she walks out on Tuesday and she's yours forevermore yeah. she's home in the house uh, under the within the four walls and under the roof ah oh, look yeah. this is just That's a marvellous story it, it, it's marvellous look I want to mention Nicola again your sister yeah. who I interviewed and who passed away uh, back in August 2014 her memorial tournament was this to be the fifth or sixth year of it? It was going to be the fifth year, so I know that the organising committee had kind of, you know, had hoped to really mark the occasion being the fifth year of the tournament, because I think since uh, its first year in 2015, it's really just gone from strength to strength, and it's, it really is just like a beautiful way of keeping, like, you know, Nicola's legacy and memory alive at the club. Um, and I just think, you know, as a family, we're like, we've been so blown away by Stabane and ladies that they'd actually want to dedicate, like, a whole tournament to Nicola, and then use this as a way of like, you know, raising money for charities over the years. Um, and I really just like I to think over the fa- past five years, like as testament to the organising committee and the players at the club, that it's really just gone from strength to strength. Mm. And is it happening again this weekend? Um, unfortunately, no, because 2020 like, would have been the fifth year of the tournament. Okay. Unfortunately, with the COVID restrictions on GAA, like our annual yes. day of five-side football up in Stavannah can't go ahead. Can't go ahead. OK. And is there any alternative? Yeah, no, that's actually the organising committee have really just amazed us, like in their determination, like for our celebration of Nicola's life and love of football and Stavannah to still happen in 2020. Um, I suppose that's kind of how and why the Stavannah to Spain challenge came to the fore. Mm. Um, and so it's just, it's a kind of an undertaking that um, all of the... Uh, players at the senior team 
are kind of taking part in, but it's actually it's gone even wider than the club and we've over 100 people signed up to complete 100 kilometres in June. And I know that we've already reached our um, 2,000 euro goal uh, for fundraising for the ICU and the Lords. Great stuff. And if people want to check it out and join in and help you even more, how do they do it, Emma? Um, well, it's on the Facebook page, I think, is probably the best way to find us. Either yes. Savannah and Parnell's or else the Nicola Barry Seven Aside Tournament are probably the best way. And then it's also, um, if people would like to donate to the ICU and the Lord's Hospital, they can do that through our GoFundMe page. And all the details of that can be found uh, through Facebook. Great. And if you send me more info on that, we'll blast it out for you uh, tomorrow here on LMFM as well. Listen, you've been fantastic. Again, best wishes to your mum, Laura. Uh, Well done to you, the family and John, dad as well, for being there and all the neighbours and friends and especially the staff, as you mentioned, in the uh, critical care unit in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. This is a truly wonderful story. Laura and Emma Barry, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.